0: Welcome to another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson I'm Aaron Sims and Charlie I never met this guy I only saw him play in person a couple of times against Milwaukee uh, but that being said he is a player that I've respected a lot for a long time because he's a guy that that got things done he stuck with it he found success any way he could and now he's enjoying great success as a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning front office Stanley Cup champion last year and Who knows what what the future holds this season? You know him. He was a key player on that 03-04 championship team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A guy who, you know, when when we get players that only stick around one year, usually they're forgotten. But uh, this guy, Wade Flaherty, some other, uh, a few other guys uh, from that team, because we won the Calder Cup, everyone remembers him. Uh, Even 15, 20 years later, hard to to say that. But
0: uh, welcome to the podcast, Matthew Darsh. Yeah, Matthew Darsh. Good to see you.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: We really appreciate it. Your time in Milwaukee, as Charlie said, it was just the one season. Uh, how did you get into get to the organization, Nashville, Milwaukee?
2: Well, I, I, I came out of college. I signed uh, with Columbus out of uh, McGill University of Montreal, and I did my entry level, which was two years because I was twenty three, turning twenty four, my first year pro. So I started uh, later. Guys, some guys are already six years into their NHL career at that point. <laughs> But then I signed my qualifying offer and the year after that, it was just getting an opportunity somewhere else and Nashville came and I signed and uh, I got two games in Nashville, but it was one of my, obviously when you win, it's fun, but it was one of our favorite uh, uh, places to play. We had a great, great group of guys. We had probably 17, if not 18 of the players living in the same, uh, the uh, Blads, that Blads Brewery, whatever the old building, we all lived in there. Uh, you know, I still talk to Darren Haydar, Wade Flaherty. I see Tony Hercurs works with us. Uh, he was my centerman uh, with Scotty Upshaw and, uh, you know, Vernon Fiddler and, and guys like that, Andrew Hutchison. So uh, we had a great team, a lot of fun. We I, I still remember in the playoffs, we all lived in the Bladsbury. After every round, we had a big party at the building. Like So, yeah, we were in playoffs, but we were having fun too. And I still remember that year. I tell people, we... And Charlie, you'll remember because you were there, but we finished like 30 points ahead of Cincinnati. Back then, they had that play-in series, seven versus 10, eight versus nine. So we spent right. 13 days without playing. They were up 3-2 in the series. And I won't mention his name, but there's a guy on the other team, a French player, came to me on the face-off game six. He goes, you guys better beat us. I booked a trip to Cancun for next week. I was like, oh, you <laughs> make sure your teammates don't hear you say that. <laughs> so we and we ended up winning in seven and six and five and in four in the finals, I don't know if you remember the goalies we beat that year. It oh, was Ilya Brizgalov in the first round, Carey Letten in the second round, Ryan Miller in the third round, and partly Marc Andre Fleury in the, in the finals. So and and yeah, Andy Kyoto, yeah, in the in Andy Kyoto with Flower came in a few times too. So uh, it was a great run. It's and you'll laugh. You're talking about the Stanley Cup last year. We got our rings two weeks ago, which were humongous, and yes, we I put saw it next those. To my Calder Cup ring. So there was a little bit of size well. difference. Do you
0: play like the having ha- a you next to an Escalade? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> when you played for us, there was uh, well, our owner was dead, we had it, we didn't have an owner, and uh, so there wasn't a lot of money to go around. I, I remember actually at the party, the post game, uh, the celebration in the locker room in uh, in Wilkesbury, and it was on a Sunday and it was dry, so the only places we could get beer was from the building, we couldn't go out and buy more beer. And our GM at the time, Phil, we was so so strapped for cash that I heard, he says to me, sort of in jest, but really asking the question, well, this is my Phil impersonation, well, I mean, the, the cases are 30, it's, it, it's 40 bucks a case, should we get another case of beer? And of course, the answer is yes. But uh, that's how strapped we were for cash at that point, uh, that we had to maybe think of 24 cans of beer, should it? Should we let the guys uh, be pouring that on their heads? <laughs> but you know what,
2: Charlie, I guess they, they did a great job running it because I've been on teams in the HL. I've done a lot of cities and that they were cheap and you could see it. Like, we didn't see it in Milwaukee. Like, players, like, we got treated great, uh, you know, from the staff to Claude Noel and Todd Richards and Ray Shiro that would come down a lot. Like, we never felt – like, I've been on teams that you felt, all right, you know, you have one case where you go on a eight-hour eight, eight bus ride and you have one, 24 – balls of water that's it you know yeah um, so we right. never we never <laughs> felt like they, they they were shortchanging us so I, I'll give them credit for that like it's uh we had a great time it was one of my favorite uh cities to live in uh, in the HL obviously when you win it's it's more it's always more fun but it was great I mean it's uh you know you're yeah there was a lot of things to do we lived by near the lake I, I had a one-year-old so I was one of the old guys at 26, 27 with a kid. And uh, so it was, a, it was a great place to live. We really, really enjoyed it.
0: We've spoken so much about the the veteran flavor on that team. And I mean, obviously everybody wants to get to the NHL and many of the players who played on that team did and a handful had in the past. But uh, did, did that make it like freer? Did it make it easier to go through a season with that kind of experience on a club?
2: Well, yes, for sure. Yeah, had Tony Hercules that wanted the the cup with yeah. Dallas and, you know, the Hercus Circus, like we call him, like the Colby right. Baker winner in North Dakota. He came in, we clicked right away, so we played on the same line all year, mostly with Scotty Upshaw. A few guys went up, I think they, the Nashville, and starting with David Boyle, did a great job with the culture, that it wasn't about, like, you know, I got called up at one point, and I wasn't a prospect for them. And Tony Hercules went up. Like it was about the next next man up, and who deserves to go up. So, and that breeds culture. And we see, I see it now the way we do it with Syracuse and, and Tampa. You got to reward uh, effort and the guys that deserve it. If you just call up guys up oh, because they're a first-round pick, right? It it sends a wrong message. Like you don't have to earn it. You always have to earn what you get. And I think Nashville did a great job for that. It's funny now because. No, I deal sometimes. Well, I mean, obviously, it's mostly Julian Breeze, What I deal with David Poyle. but when I see him, we talk about it. And now his son Brian, uh, which I talk to a lot, is kind of my counterpart right. uh, with Nashville. So we have a great relationship. Uh, Julian has a great relationship with David. I have a great relationship with Brian. We're, you know, we're doing the same rookie tournaments this coming uh, fall. We're hosting in Tampa. I don't want to say last year, but the year before, like uh, the nineteen twenty season, it was in Nashville. Yeah. So we have a great relationship, and it's that's how good David played. Is he's still there, <laughs> and right, I played there about 16 years ago.
0: You bring up that's that's an interesting point because Charlie and I have talked about this before. It I, we both think I, I I think I'm speaking for Charlie that the game is much better than it was. Let's say seven eight years ago, for the simple fact that those politics. Are less and less those. Let's call up the top score. We need a fourth line guy to play seven minutes tonight, but let's call up the leading scorer and put him in a bad spot. Uh, let's call up the first or second round pick rather than the free agent because the fr- he's a first or second round pick. That happens less and less now, with the last let's say decade, doesn't it?
2: I agree with you, and it's, it's it's culture. My first few years was all like, and I've had on one of the teams that the coach I knew well at the end of the season told me a couple of times they called me, all right, who should get called up. Oh, let's call up Darcy. Uh, yeah. Next time let's call up the young guy. But you send the wrong message to your young guys. Cause one way to look at it is if, if a kid goes up without having earned it, let's say he gets sent back down, he can't deal with it. He doesn't understand that he has to earn it. So it actually right. affects him more when he has, I don't want to say failures, but when he's struggling, yeah. you have to you go through the process. I think it's huge in culture. And I think that, big part of it too is a lot of new age general manager like we have here in tampa with julian brisewell which we're the same age and we met each other when i was with montreal he was the assistant gm that's how i ended up in tampa and there's there, there's there's a reason behind it it's just that oh, it's not about like oh let's make our draft picks look good like it's it's all about winning in the nhl but you want to develop your players in the right way and i believe in developing in a winning culture also so like I've seen over the years two teams that say, "Ah, oh, we don't care about the HL; just let the young guys play." No, but even in the HL, you got to earn your ice time. Yeah, that's the way right. we've done it in Tampa, and I think you know the proof is in the pudding that the team has had success. So, I think it. And you're right, uh, Aaron. It changed a lot since early 2000 when I started.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's go back. You had an unconventional route, at least uh, you know, compared to most guys, to because you played. Uh, Canadian University at McGill, one of the most, probably the most prestigious Canadian university. If you think of the, what's the best one, you probably say McGill, right? Not, no, no I bias, of course.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: how did you end up at McGill? And did you have an opportunity to play in the queue at all? Or uh, was that not in the cards? Or three?
2: U.S. college. Even. Or U.S. Yeah. college, maybe. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I would say both. By the time I was banned in hockey, I went to a private school in Montreal. My mom was a teacher for so School was... That's priority a- as it yeah. should be right uh so it was all about school i was a good student and i was playing football too so by the time i was banned i there was no triple a back then i stopped going to double a because i was playing football from my high school and i was playing double b hockey all the way to midget even major triple a the organization called my dad and they said if he doesn't come to the midget triple a we won't let him play this he's going to be too strong for midget double b but i it was always a dream to play in the NHL. But my parents, they've, they came to every game. They never pushed us. When I was 15 years old, I told my dad we had a cottage up north uh, uh, at the ski hill. I just want to ski this year. So I just played a few games with my high school team. He's like, fine. The next year, I was like, you know what? I miss hockey. So I started back hockey at 16. So I quit. Not quit. I was still playing, but no no serious hockey. Travel, yeah. Yeah. So the, he never they never pushed me. So it was always about school. And then... I was a good football player. I was a good hockey player. I ended up going to prep school in Connecticut at uh, Chote Rosemary Hall. And from there, I was playing both sports. And I was playing golf also on the golf team. And I had a scholarship offer from UMass Lowell. My brother was playing football at McGill. Uh, we ended up playing nine years in the NFL after. But uh, right. the McGill coach, actually, I was never recruited for hockey at McGill. There's wow. I got a scholarship of the Quebec uh, Athlete Federation, whatever. And people to this day still think I got it for hockey, but I got it for football. And the football coach talked to the hockey coach as this good hockey players in the uh, Quebec guy in the US. Would you let him play on the team too? And he said, yeah, I don't know him, but sure. So I actually got recruited for football, but I ended up doing both in college. So that's why I, I, I turned down the scholarship offer at UMass Lowell because I, I still liked both sports. And I went to McGill. I did both for one year with a full course. load. it was just too much because the seasons overlap. And after that, I actually had a better, I was the only freshman that played every game in football. I had one assist my first year in hockey. Uh, And then I just, you know, I always liked hockey a bit better and I switched to hockey. And after my fourth year out of McGill, I was a free agent, I was 23. And I had Columbus, St. Louis, New Jersey, and Montreal. But Montreal was more a, uh, well, we had this kid in our, in our backyard. We better give him an offering. So, and I picked Columbus, new team coming in the league. And you know, so you say you need a, a chance. Uh, the head scout, the Quebec scout for New Jersey, his son always tried out for the team at Miguel because teams weren't scouting CIS back then. So, right. He, he, he never made the team, but he partied with us. Well, I shouldn't say party. He had fun with us yeah. <laughs> in college. Hung out, hung out. His dad, at my last year, I led the country in scoring. So he said, like, come and see this guy. So he's like, ah, whatever. So it just happened that we usually play on weekends, but we played on a Wednesday. The Devils were playing Thursday against the Canadians. McGill's a 10-minute walk from the Bell Centre. There's the 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 media in Montreal covered like the newspaper covered one game, two games a year. They were at that game. Lula Moriello came to watch a game. Wow. So from there in the paper, the next day, the devils are going to see Matthew Darsh, where are the Canadians? And by the playoffs, 20 teams were coming to <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you need luck.
1: <laughs> right. And that's
2: how it happened. And I signed at Columbus and I worked my way up and to it's, play for 12 years.
1: It's amazing that there are so many stories like that. That this guy a scout is going to watch a different player and he sees a di- a this guy and that guy turns out to be the player or like we all hear the story of Pekka they had to go watch him in warmups because Nicholas Backstrom was ahead of him in, uh, uh, in the depth chart. And, that, and so your story is unique like that too, that it was just sort of happenstance, a little luck that you needed yeah. to get that exposure and you took advantage of it. And like you said, 12 years later, uh, uh, you had a, a successful pro career.
2: Yeah, I got lucky. And it's funny because even the next day at practice, the coach was uh, Marty Raymond, who ended up coaching uh, with Guy Boucher and Hamilton when I was there. You coach in Tampa, you coach in Ottawa. I'm at practice the next day. There's a guy in the stands. I go, Marty, who's that? Oh, it's a devil scout is coming to watch you practice. I was like, ha ha ha. After practice, he's <laughs> like, no, I'm serious. He wants to meet you. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so, you know, like it's, uh, and Lula Moriello back then, it was late 90s. Eh? So the devils were winning. They were finding players everywhere, so, like, right away caught the other team's attention. Lou Lamoriello went to see a Canadian university hockey game. There's got to be something there, you know, so. Uh, And I've kept a great relationship with Lou ever since. What position did you play in football? I was a, uh, when I was in prep school, I played uh, running back and linebacker. And at McGill, I was only linebacker and a long snapper. My brother, when he finished McGill, played a year in the CFL, then he played nine in the NFL as a long snapper.
1: Yeah. So I am curious about that since you bring it up your brother, uh, how did your brother? So, I mean, I now correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I'm certainly no expert on this, but the long snappers generally don't, they're not big offensive linemen. They specialize in that, but how was your brother, was he bigger than you or what position did he play besides long snapper? Like before he was, a, a, a an NFL player, but like at McGill, what was he, what was his position?
2: Well, he was an all-Canadian linebacker, uh, middle linebacker. Like, uh, he was probably six, about my height, one. He was 250, so he was... Oh, wow. Which he was small for a long snapper, and he played a year in the CFL. He was... He, he actually... In Canada, you're allowed to play five years in college. He did his undergrad in physiology in three years. Then he, he was halfway done his med school. He did two years of med school. Got drafted by the Argonauts in Toronto. Played a year in Toronto in the playoffs. He broke his leg in the CFL. You make like thirty-five grand. He's like, "All right, I lived it. I'm going to go finish my med school." Right. The Seahawks were looking. It's another weird story, but the Seahawks were looking for a long snapper. Uh, Paul Holmgren, Mike Holmgren, sorry, Mike Holmgren was friends with the coach in Toronto, so he says, "Oh, I had a great long snapper this year." So they flew him in for a workout. He went to camp on a contract, but well, you know what it is they brought they brought in three, four snappers at camp right made the team then he signed a 2-year deal then a 4-year deal then he signed with Kansas City as a free agent and now he still lives in Kansas City and he's the Chiefs uh, team doctor
0: yeah yeah that's that's crazy and you are wondering these... like oh, if you guys ahead. compare who had the better year last year
2: well it's funny cuz we both didn't win like the furthest I went in the NHL was a conference final with Montreal in 2010 he went to the Super Bowl in 06 but lost to the Steelers yeah uh, and then he got the Super Bowl it was in Miami, so I went down to see him quickly. So he got a Super Bowl ring. And then later on, I mean, obviously it was September because of what happened, but uh, we got our rings the same year, which is, and you know what's even funnier is out of Miguel, I signed with Columbus and he signed in, with Seattle. We signed the exact same day in uh, May 8th, uh, 2000, our first uh, NFL and NHL contract. So there's That's been amazing. a lot of, uh, we've, had, we've been fortunate. We've been and, blessed.
1: Ca- and, and when you played in Milwaukee, you got to go see him play up in uh uh yep. and a number of the guys went up to uh to Lambeau to see him play. Is that the only time you saw him play, uh, as a in the NFL or uh, no? Because that's actually, difficult,
2: I would imagine. That year in Milwaukee at Christmas, we had four days off, so I flew to Seattle. I saw him there, and his first ever game at Lambeau was when I was in Milwaukee, and his first ever playoff game he played was at Lambeau. I don't remember the year when Matt Hasselbeck said yeah. we we'll get the ball and score, and you threw that interception in the flat. Yep. I was at that game. It was the most cold I've ever been in a game. It was. I know what you call it—the frozen tundra. It was freezing, but to me, like I love sports. I right? like Montreal Forum. I went to uh, uh, Fenway Yankee Park. Stadium. Or, yeah, I went no. to uh, Fenway Park, and Lambeau is like wow, you know. So it was it was awesome. So I, I've been fortunate. When I was in Columbus, I saw him play in Cincinnati i saw him play in kansas i saw him a few times so you got to see him a
1: fair number of times
2: yeah i'm a big football fan too uh and cfl not uh, nfl not cfl sorry
1: yeah uh so the uh you you sp- spent a couple of years you had, had a lot of success in the ahl uh and we you touched on this already but who's recruiting you from nashville to come to milwaukee And, and is there, is there, what's their message? Is it like, Hey, we've got a lot of young players and we think you're going to fit in really well with them. Or is it more like, Hey, we're still a young team we're a young organization. We think you have a chance to play in the NHL. What's their message to you?
2: Well, you know, like it was mostly my agent that did the talking, but after I, I signed and when I got sent down out of camp and. It's, I was still only my fourth year pro. So I was still like, right. for them, I was probably a depth guy. They knew I was a good HL player. I think I'd scored 30 something goals the year before goals the year before in uh, Syracuse. Yep. So I was one, like, like I see it right now. We signed, we have our prospect, we signed depth call up guys, you know, that, yeah, most likely they'll be in Syracuse. You never know. Like they could surprise you. Like when I made the team in Tampa in 2007, I was supposed to be in Norfolk. I ended up making the team. Right. But that's why they signed me. And, uh, You know, like it's, they didn't tell me you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Is yeah, you're one of our players and work your way up. I I remember I had a good camp. I remember Barry Trotz was a great line. That's why I tell friends in Montreal too. You know, in Montreal, obviously, they cover uh, every scrimmage and somebody scores. And I remember one scrimmage, I scored three goals in uh, Nashville and they asked Barry Trotz. I thought his answer was awesome. Well, this guy scored three goals. They said, yeah, preseason is like double A ball. Actually, scrimmage is like double A ball. Preseason game is like triple A ball. Then the season is the NHL, you know? So yeah, it's great. He had a great scrimmage, but that's not like get carried away. And he was a hundred percent right. I mean, that's, and you guys don't see it, but in Montreal, the way like every scrimmage, if someone scores a goal, well, he's, he's awesome. He's the best thing, you know? So it's,
1: well, yeah, we've, one thing at a time. We, we've sort of noticed a, it a lot lately. At least I have with Cole Caulfield, who is yeah. the grandson yeah. of an original Admiral.
2: Oh and yeah. You know that.
1: Yeah, he is. His dad Wayne Caulfield was one of the original Admirals and uh, he grew up in Wisconsin and he obviously went to University of Wisconsin. So we've watched his, you know, we've watched closely his career and how much coverage he gets and they had embedded reporters in Madison with him. Mm-hmm. And I mean,
2: that's just insane. He They showed his game on uh, RDS, the French TS, the French ESPN, the French TSN. They yeah. broadcast a bunch of the Wisconsin games, the Badger games this year.
1: Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. Exactly. And he's, and good for him. He's had an awesome start to his, uh, his career. Yeah.
2: Uh, we so have a good Wisconsin uh, alumni here with Ryan McDonough. Yeah. He's been okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's been okay. And, and one of he's my, had
0: a decent career.
2: One of my good friends in hockey who I played with uh, and fortunately for us, we beat him in the final is Joe Pavelski.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You geez. know, you know, speaking of Ryan McDonough, he went to the, you know, the high school he went to had uh, Paul Molitor yeah, uh, Heisman winner Chris Weinke. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. I mean, Creighton, Durham Hall, uh, Joe Mauer, uh, yeah, Minnesota, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, big, big, uh, big time factory of, of athletes yeah. there.
2: He's an uh, awesome guy too. He's such a leader. Yeah. Like he's Montreal. They still talk about that trade for Scott Gomez. <laughs> yeah, I'm
0: sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, when you come to Milwaukee, and we've heard Claude talk about this, um, that. He, Claude kind of let the room alone there were there were guys on the team yourself Ray Schultz Herkes uh, these guys who were Brad Tiley when he eventually came in that was great too um Claude just kind of let it go but every so often he'd have to remind the guys to get back on the same page every so often
2: yes Claude honestly Claude is one of the best coach I've had uh he was you know he was demanding but he was fair like he and I still remember like one time you pissed me off, and he was probably right. Is the last game of the season, we're going to Chicago. Yeah, I think I was leading the team in scoring. Me, Herc, and uh, Darren Hagar, yeah. we all tied fifty-nine points. Yeah, he scratched me. I had an eight-game points streak. He scratched me. It was first time in my life I've ever been scratched, and he just told me, "Yeah, you're playing well, but you're not playing like Matthew Darsh is supposed to play." And he wanted to light a fire under my, and I was so insulted. I still remember he passed the lineup back on the bus. All right, look who's playing. When I got it, I scrunched it up and I threw it. I was so pissed. And you know what? It's And never did I... like. I'm still extremely good friends with Claude and I recognize it. Like The worst is I was getting points, but I wasn't playing the way I was supposed to play. And he, I guess he lit a fire under my uh, my ass. I don't know if you can say on the podcast, but yeah. uh, he lit there a fire under my ass before the playoffs. And uh, look, we went on to win, so I guess he did the right thing. Wow. Yeah, we always talk about Claude and...
1: this podcast and guys who played for him and we always ask like you know he he always had that weird way he'd always approach guys with a question he wouldn't tell them you played you played terrible tonight he would say uh matthew how was your game tonight rate 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 your game tonight Uh, and you and like there's no good answer right you can't say well obviously i was a five Claude, because you know you know he he knows that something else is coming but he was just he had a way with guys. He was a teacher and he had a way of getting the information out so you would realize it, as opposed to just yelling at a guy and telling him he sucks.
2: Yeah, and, and he pushed a pace in practice. We played with pace and even Todd Richards did a funny we joke because I spent one year with Todd as a player and he was a coach. We won the Call the Cup. I spent one year with him in management <laughs> and coach, and we won a Stanley cup. cup. So I was like, Richie, we gotta stay together. We're we're batting a thousand here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's right.
0: What did you look at that season? Um, and Herc and, and Tylee, they kind of come in a little bit later that year. Yeah. Um, what was that like when when you know that these two guys are coming? And I mean, you, you certainly you probably their reputations precede them. They've been around for a while. They're veteran, good veteran players. What does that mean to a team when, you, when they're added
2: a month or so into the year? Well, we did have a lot of young players too, but it's funny because for a team that dominated the league, as we had an awesome record all year. We don't have that many. We have a lot of guys that played in the NHL, but we right. don't have many guys that became stars in the NHL. No. Yeah. Probably none of us. Uh, and then with these guys, Brad Tiley had one defenseman of the year a couple of years prior to right. joining Philadelphia, in, the in Philadelphia, yeah. Great veteran presence. Same thing with Herc. Herc, even now as a scout, Herc is always the same level. You don't know if he's excited or he's down. Like He's always <laughs> Herc is like this, you know, and I love Tony Hercus and for me, selfishly, as soon as he came in, they put us together and we click right away. So it was, was great. Say, we we had the, the young Scotty Upshaw doing all the skating for us because both of us weren't great skaters. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But to play with a center like Herc and a guy like you uh, I, I, and the way that, you know, you want to score and you're a big guy. I mean, that must have been awesome for you. Like you said, you were so excited to have him out there. It's just like he probably tells you, put your stick on the ice and I'll yeah. and I'll get the puck
0: there.
2: It's like if we were playing, like outskating everyone. That's why I said, like, Scotty was the one going all over. We, my, my I scored my goals around the net. Like, when I was right. in Hershey one year, the guys bugged me. I think at one point I scored, like, 10 goals in seven games or something. The guys told me, Darshi, if we add up the distance of all your goals <laughs> from the goal line, you're still in the blue paint. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, But Herc was great. And it's funny how when you win, you know, people, they, they, they go all cliche, you know, you, you win and you're, you're family for life and all that. It's funny because over the years – all these guys you know it's time if we talk all the time but every time we talk it's like it's like old times like i i hadn't seen Herc in a while i when i got uh when i joined tampa first thing i did is i came down so i i, I joined the team in may one year and right away it was the end of year uh scouting meetings so i come in right away i'm sitting next to Herc and it's like if we've been together all these years you know so it's right. uh, it's been great. And every time after that like in the NHL, like I played against Dallas with Vernon Fiddler, or I, or I played against Uppy and whether he was in St. Louis in Florida or anywhere he was. And then uh, Andrew Hutchison ended up winning the cup in Carolina. In Carolina, yeah. And he beat Montreal in the second round. So he kept calling me, Darshi, when tickets come to the game. So I would go to the games in Montreal and go uh, go have uh, dinner with him after. So we always, and I saw Flats uh, way fairly last year when Winnipeg came into Tampa I forgot he was the goalie coach there. So I, we get to the press box at the same time. So you, you know, I see code, I came in, Todd Richards was there. So you always have those, uh, those connections, those connections.
1: You, you mentioned a guy, Andrew Hutchinson, uh, great offensive defenseman, but also one of the funniest guys that we've well, ever had, but you'd no. never know it. Cause he was so dry and he would say he would have these little one liners. And if, if you had just met him or you didn't really know him, you'd be like, hold on, is this guy serious? But then you, after you get to know him, you realize, no, this guy's this guy's hilarious, and you just gotta you just gotta know his sense of humor.
2: I still remember that was when I told you that we now it's long enough, all our careers are done, so I can say it. But we were at the Blads Brewery. There was a pool. No, it was a great for our families, like even for our girlfriends and wife. In my case, like we go on the road. Seventeen of them lived in the same building. Security. They had pools. We had putting greens and all that. It was a great place, but. After the first round, we had a party in one's apartment. Obviously, people complained we were allowed. So now the people that ran the building said, all right, next time, just tell us there's like a party room off the pool. So we'll give you the party room. So we beat Chicago, we come back and let's go, we party because we, we had another five days and, you know, it bonded our team too. And I remember Hutch had a few drinks and, you know, with his face, he jumps in the pool with all his clothes and then you see him come out of water and he's like this. <laughs> and he puts his hand in his pocket. He had his phone. He had his watch. <laughs> <I'm like>, oh. <laughs> so you know the little stories like that. They're they're innocent, but it's it's what you it's remember. Like that from... that got yeah. us together. Everybody was having fun together, and uh, we had honestly it was a a lot a lot of fun uh, that year. I, I actually think that. Uh you know, the, the experience in the
1: AHL, and we've talked with other guys about this too. It's a little bit like college because so yeah. many of these guys don't go to college. They play major juniors. So they're billeted with their families. And yeah, they're around the guys a lot, but they're not living alone. They're not making life decisions. And so you come to the American league and there's so many instances, like you say, all the guys live at the Blatt's and you were a college many guy. In many cases, you have
0: a roommate to start. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah. And you sort of, you grow Mine up- Mine was my to-
2: wife and my son. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but you grow up together and it's like you practice until noon and then it's like, Hey, what are we going to do? It's sort of like class. You had class until yeah. noon. It's like, what are we going to do this afternoon? Let's go have some fun.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and, and that, that's part of it, but that's why you need the right veterans too. Like I see it, like you don't want the guys to go on a bender all year either. You know, like it's right. It's funny because I had a coach, Kevin Dineen. I played with my first game in the NHL. Uh, he was my line mate, uh, awesome guy. And it's funny because I got to training camp in Columbus, my first training camp. We had, like, back then, there were training camps, a lot more players, probably 70 players at camp. And I'm the CIS guy. So I'm on the total pole. I'm low. And it always stuck with me. And I was always like that the rest of my career. Like, after a practice and training camp, obviously, Kevin was on the team and guys are going go-karting. And he goes, hey, you're the CIS guy from McGill. I'm like, yeah, you want to come with us? You know, and I had no chance of making the team, but Right there, just a veteran guy. Like he didn't care who you were. Like he always stuck right. with me the rest of my career. How I treated people. And having said that, like we're talking about having fun, and he coached me after in Portland. Right. And I was obviously one of the captains with Tyler bauck another veteran guy. And he came, um, early in the season after Game Five. We had like four or five days between games. After the game, you guys come here. we go in his office. We still have our skates on. And said, "All right, guys." I'll do a deal with you guys. I'm giving you two days off, one condition. Every single player is at the bar together tonight. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Everybody go out tonight, you know, and things like that. But he could do it because he knew, like, if you start doing that, you don't want the guys to party. And every night, every time there's a day off, they party. But by making it, like, normal, like, we'd go. But when it was time for the games, we were serious. And it was the same thing in Milwaukee. We partied after every round in the playoffs. When I say party, don't even, it wasn't a rock star party. It was just our team having right. fun, having a few drinks in the building. So I just want people to make sure that when I say party, it doesn't mean it wasn't crazy. No, no, it wasn't crazy, but it was just—it was a get. It was never anybody from the outside. It was just the team, the girlfriends, the wives, and it's sitting, having drinks, laughing, saying stupid things, uh, and Hutch was good at that. And uh, yeah, so you know, it, just these little things brought us together. But when it was time to play, it was time to play.
0: That, uh, Chicago series, it, that's the series, right, Charlie, where the puck pops into the air, right? Yeah. The Tony Hercus goal game, uh, game two,
1: I believe of that series, yeah. double overtime. So you'd have been on the ice for that. I assume. Yeah. Uh, take us, do you, do you, do you remember that play and take, it was like Herc was the only guy on the ice who knew where the puck was. Yeah. And we probably had like 150 shots on letting and He was really good. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but, uh, Take us through that play, where you were, and what you remember from it.
2: Well, I remember exactly where I was, but I just remember like you, like everybody's looking for the puck, and the next thing you know, it's in the net. there. like, what, what? Like it seemed like Herc was the only one that followed it, but that's why we, we had a lot of overtime. I guess there was that game two and game six to clinch yeah. it. Herc actually sent me a breakaway uh, in the second overtime, and I scored to uh, to, to clinch to the series. So we yeah. we were. See that playoff here, the guys that scored the most were Simon Gamash and Hadar. But I guess we did our part with some timely goals. Uh and here and these guys and, were on fire.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'll I'll say this. I probably have never properly thanked you be- for that goal in game six because that was a that was a Friday night. We were gonna play game seven at home on Saturday. If we had lost that and we would have had no time to sell tickets at all. So it would, have been, it would have been brutal. We wouldn't have had any fans there because there was, and the game was so late that it couldn't have gotten in the, it wasn't gonna be in the newspaper. Websites, there was no, I couldn't have tweeted it. We, could, we weren't tweeting it. Yeah, we, no, there was no way to let anybody know what was going on. But thank you, thanks to Matthew Darsh, we won in six games and uh, we could rest easy and uh, stop at White Castle on the way home from the Allstate, which is what we did. Uh, I believe after that, uh, after that series, there's
2: no more Bradley Center, correct?
1: Yeah, the Bradley Center was. Uh, dist- uh, they destroyed it. Uh, what was that two years ago now, Aaron? Three years ago?
0: Uh, I would say three. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: so where did the, the Bucks play? The the uh, the Bucks had have a new arena um, just north of where the Bradley Center was. Okay, they sh-
2: don't they don't share with the Admirals, right? The Admirals play somewhere else, right?
1: Yeah, we play in uh, what, what when you played for us would have been the U.S. Cellular Arena, probably, or maybe it's called the Mecca. And, uh, it's actually a better size for us. It's about 9,000 holds 9,000 people. Uh, we can sell it out. Uh, you know, at the Bradley center, it was built for hockey. The, 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 the owners at the time, the Pettits wanted an NHL team. It didn't work out and they had this beautiful building, but it was always too big for us. You know what it was like, right? So even with 6,000 fans, which was more than we averaged when you were playing for us, even with 6,000 fans, it was still two thirds empty. Uh, and so uh, the Bucks wanted a new building. There was some. They didn't really want us there. They wanted a. Uh, they they wanted the ability to have concerts anytime they could get it. So uh, it it worked out better for us to be here. And then they and the Bradley Center is now a uh, is a parking lot basically, <laughs> which is sort of sort of weird. Um, yeah. But uh, let's t- talk a little bit more about that. Uh, you, you had an, one another overtime goal in uh game in game one of the calder cup finals if i'm not mistaken against one um, or
2: two was it
1: no i think it was i think it it might have been like i know it was one of the first two games it was game one because the second game and we'll talk about that one too because that's a famous incident in admiral's history uh game one is an overtime goal again like i'm I'm pretty sure you were just five straight overtime wins for this team too 500%. Five or six, yeah. It was an AHL record. We won uh, of most consecutive wins right. in overtime, or maybe most overtime wins in one postseason. Like but I still, I still
2: remember that goal. Curtis Murphy took the shot, and I tipped it going down and out. Right, absolutely. And where were you stationed in front of the net? Right. Yeah. i living, I didn't have to skate too much.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know, actually, you mentioned that though. But like Stan Drulia, who was a uh, you, I'm sure you've run into Stan before. He was a prolific IHL scorer. And he says, why would you go anywhere else? If you want to score goals, why would you go anywhere else than besides the net? Because guys are so good. The goalies are so good that even, you know, Shea Weber, who you know well, he can bomb a slap shot from the blue line, 100 miles an hour, 105 miles an hour. But if a goalie sees it, he's going to stop it. But if you're in front of the net getting the rebounds, that's where, oh, where you can still are. get a few
2: past the goalie, but he's the exception. Yeah, he, he is the exception. He's a former admiral. He used admiral to live too. about a block from me in Montreal, like uh, near the practice facility when, uh, when I was still in Montreal. So he's, a, he's an awesome guy, too.
1: He is, and a former admiral. Played for us yeah. for, what uh, yeah. oh, he you about here 50, 50, 50 games or so. Um, so let's go to game two then of the Calder Cup finals. Uh, Michelle Therrien, uh who you obviously know.
2: He uh,
1: yeah. He, he freaks out. I mean, he just like, we're up seven to one. We give up a t- couple of quick goals and Claude calls timeout in the third period. And, and, uh, Michelle Tarian did not care for that. Tell us what you remember about that incident.
2: I, I, to this day, I question if, because Michelle has a reputation from junior from everywhere has been to be a hothead, yeah, hothead yeah. and you saw it when he went back to Montreal on the second stint in the playoffs against Ottawa, Uh, the the Ottawa coach uh, Paul McLean got under his skin too so to this day I think Claude might have done it on purpose to piss him off Mm -hmm. there was like a couple minutes left but honestly these like whatever there was a few minutes left but he had scored two bang bang quick goals so you just want to it's easy to say well there was no chance it was scoring four but what if they did and you say god I should have called a timeout so it wasn't a bad move but I wouldn't be surprised if part of it he did it to really piss off Michelle, and uh, which was great. And Michelle, the rest of the series, I like, I remember he kept yelling at the bench of Simon Gamash. Simon, like he was a gamer, Simon. Like honestly, like he's got the he beat Mario Lemieux's record for most playoff points in the queue. Yeah. Uh, and Simon had that smirk on his face and he chirping back. So he was wasting his time on Simone uh, Simon Gamache, and uh uh like cold really got under his skin on that one and uh I, I, I remember it was 2-1 overtime. We won like 7-3. Yep. Then we won 2-1 again. I think it might have been overtime also. And we
1: won 7-something the last game. Yeah, and the last game wasn't even close. It was
2: like... Like 7-2 or something. Like yeah, that. and
1: it was like 7-2 after 30 minutes into the game.
2: Yeah, yeah. We uh, Our power play was... Clear. I think was we, So at, good. I think that year our power play in the playoff was clicking at like 35 40%, something like that. Like we were... Uh, and it's funny, like we said earlier, we didn't have that many guys. We didn't have a cold coffee level, most likely have a great like we didn't have any guys that became star in the NHL. Most of our most of the guys, Herc was actually after his NHL time, but most yeah. of the guys we ended up being third fourth line guys in the NHL. Almost yeah. all of us. It,
1: Fiddler and Upshaw like are probably played the most games in the NHL, yeah. and those guys they did it by you know quote
0: unquote grinding. So they they were long, yeah. third fourth
2: line guys. <clears throat>
0: right. Gamash, exactly. I can't imagine. And I, I knew I knew him only for one season. I can't imagine anybody relishing being the bad guy more than Gamache on the ice.
2: Oh, he loved pissing people off, and he had that <laughs> swagger, that arrogance. I loved it. Like some people didn't not not on our team, but opponents didn't like him. They say he's cocky and all that. But he had yeah. that swagger. Yeah, he was a gamer. Like he didn't care what people thought of him. He he wanted to make a difference everywhere he's been. He's won. He went to Europe. He went to Europe. He had a great career in Europe. After he's wow. won in Europe and. Simon, if he would have started his career 10 years later, he probably would have played a lot more in the NHL. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, there's a story about him the year after we won the cup. He's an all-star. And they're, the, the, uh, in the game, you win 500 bucks. If you uh, if you're on the winning team and that's that's the year of the lockout and he, and it's so it's like Jason the biggest Spezza's, stars ever yeah yeah and they're dogging it and and Simone comes in the locker room he's pissed off because guys are just out there doing figure eights and and, yeah. and skating around he wants to win because he wants 500 bucks.
2: Uh, he's a gamer. I remember their line was him Darren Haydar and I think Vernon Fiddler was playing. Fids with yeah yep exactly. So it's, uh, then it was me Herc and Scotty Upshaw but he got hurt so we had a few different guys uh, we had Jay Henderson too yeah.
1: And talk about another guy who was a winner. I think that was his third straight cup, if I'm not mistaken.
2: I think he won in 99 with Providence. Okay. You know his great story is Jay Henderson. He was the last pick in one of the dra- in his draft year, the last pick in the draft. And when you ask him, when were you drafted? He goes, oh, I was the pick right before Vanilla Cavalier. <laughs> <laughs> the last pick the year before. You always say that. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, That's was the last, a great line. Oh, I was the pick right before Vanilla Cavalier. <laughs> But Which then
1: right. he and then he wanted it with Houston the year, but the uh, the year before, it's like you're saying, oh, no, that's right. Houston, be, right? Yeah, it's important to have those guys on the team, they're not making headlines, but they know how to win, they know what it takes.
2: Curtis Murphy won the last IHL with the Orlando, he won uh, NCAA with uh, North Dakota. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, we had uh, Greg Claussen was another guy that paid great for us, and uh, even like the young kids, like Timothy Shishkanov, who was a Russian kid, but that. You know, like sometimes Russians they come over; they're shy. This guy was always <laughs> laughing, smiling, and Libor Pivko and guys yeah. like that. And, uh, yeah, Kirill Safranov. Yeah, Safranoff.
1: He, that was uh, he. He Safranoff and uh, Gamash came in a trade that ben year. Ben Simon. Yeah, for Ben hey. Simon and Thomas Klochuk, probably the most significant trade in Admirals' history at that yeah. uh, at that point. So game four against Wilkesbury. It's an, we know we're going to win uh, halfway through the game what's going through your mind during the third period? Are you thinking like when, when the, what are you going to do when the clock ticks down? Are you going to be the first one in there? Are you don't, do you want not want to get monkey piled on? You don't want to get, you know, like jumped on What what's going through your head. How are you going to celebrate?
2: Or maybe you that's not put, anything. We want to put more goals in. We wanted to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, like what was great is a bunch of our girlfriends, uh, and like i said for me my wife they drove actually drove from milwaukee to willsbury so a lot of them were there with us which was great my- i remember my 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 mom flew to uh, milwaukee to stay with my one-year-old son so my wife could drive with the wife. Uh, it was my wife Fitz's wife hutchison's wife mr and mrs haydard That was at, uh, that were all the games and uh so it was great obviously like it's you doesn't matter the league you play and you play for the championship. Yeah. The Stanley cup is the ultimate. Like it's right. But you know what? Last year I won the Stanley cup. I can just imagine as a player, because trust me, I'm very proud of what we did and like we have a part in it, but the player is the ultimate because you're right. the one on the other day. Yeah. We build the team and all that. We're not the ones playing, right. you know, same thing coaches. So as a player, that was the first championship I won, which to this day is the only championship I won as a player. If I take out tournaments when I was in minor hockey, but it was awesome. And it's, you know what, it's comparable comparable to the Stanley Cup because I was a player, yeah. right? you know, and you felt like you you, you grind out the, the whole playoff. And that's why I realized is you got to learn to, you know, when you say like the Lightning two, uh, three years ago, 62 wins, loses in the first round to Columbus. The lightning, we've been in the conference final four out of the past six years, but loss and all that. Like somehow, you have to go through it. When you go through it, you know what it is. You, people can tell you winning the Stanley Cup is 16 wins and could take you 25 games, and till you go through it. So even if you go through it in the minors, it's the same playoffs. It's four rounds of best of seven, so it prepares mm-hmm. you for the next level and all that. And even last year when we went through the playoffs, you're discussing with the coaches, you're discussing with Julian, like even if it's not the NHL playoff, you lived a two-month grind to win a cup. So you have some experience you can build on. So I think with every player, it was big going in your career. That's why when I said earlier, I believe in developing players in a winning environment. And if more of your guys win in the minors, like this team like in Syracuse, like Alex Killorn, Tyler Johnson, Andre Palat, uh, I don't want to say Radko Gludes because he plays against us right now, but they all won in Norfolk. Yeah. These are the guys that have been bringing this team to the conference final and to Stanley Cup finals in 2015. That was, I think, the 2015 was a year or two after, a year or two after they won in uh, Norfolk. I, so, yep. Syracuse has been to the finals a few times. Like it's it's that culture that you want, and it starts in the HL. So, I think that's part of what we got in Milwaukee that year.
0: The culture, and you mentioned all the guys that went on to careers in the NHL. It it's your reputation too. Yep you're, you're winners you yes uh every organization that signed you afterwards i'm sure said oh he won a championship and he yep, was one of the right. best players on that championship team he's a winner we want him around
2: for sure i play with hal gill in montreal great friend and all that and ironically we'll get back to michelle but before michelle got let go by pittsburgh Al was a healthy scratch yeah fired him dan balsma came in he won the cup it was actually on the ice that that save that Marc Andre Furry makes on uh, Nicholas Lidstrom. Right. And he kept saying, he said, winning a cup, I extended my career by five years. Because now, oh, we want to sign that that D that, like, look this year, like Zach Bogosian that we lost. For us, it was salary cap things. Kevin Shattenkirk, all these guys, teams wanted them because yep, they had just right? won. Cause they because they won. And Travis Mullen, same thing, won in Anaheim. And, and Hal always jokes. He said, yeah, if, if we don't win the cup that year, my career might be over. When I wasn't right. playing. Now <clears throat> I end up in the lineup. I win a cup. I was a defensive defenseman blocking shots. And in 2010, we went we went to the conference final. and I don't know if you remember, Washington had an unbelievable yeah. regular season. <clears throat> Sorry, the uh, we beat them in the first round. We beat Pittsburgh in the second round. Hal Gill was playing unbelievable. He was like a second goalie out there,
1: just that, blocking shots. And and it, it, it was that playoffs, that series specifically against. Uh... Washington in that that year that sort of brought Kirk Muller, at least he's I'm sure he obviously yep. everyone in Montreal knows who he is, but as an assistant, he's and the and the guy running the penalty kill, he's the one that shut down Alex Ovechkin, so to speak, shut him down, right? Yep. Uh and True. he's got and that was his sort of stepping stone to the uh to the American League, too, because he needed a head coaching job in the to be he needed to be a head coach to be a uh, NHL head coach. And yep. that's sort of how he ended up in Milwaukee, was because That's where he needed to take the next step.
2: And Kirk was running our power play and our power play was clicking in those playoffs. We did well on the, on the power play.
0: Yeah. Uh, Let's let's celebration afterwards because it's an American hockey league team. And let's be honest, we got to get everybody out of town as quickly as possible. because free agency is coming up. Everybody's going to get me, you know, nobody's from the city that you just won in. So when you get it, when you win a championship, it's, it's awesome, but at the same time, like you, there's a very good chance you're never going to see a lot of these guys again.
2: Yeah, I remember we got back to the Blats and we had a couple of days of parties. And after that, it seems like nobody wanted to leave. Like Everybody was helping. Everybody packed their apartment. And it was my, right. my son's first birthday, June 9th, a few days after. And probably half the team was in my apartment. We did a little cake. He was in his high chair. So it was, uh, <laughs> you know, you leave. But you know, when you talk about winning, July 1st at noon, I had offers.
0: Sure.
2: Right. And I signed in Colorado. Unfortunately, there was a lockout the year after. So I was in Hershey all year, but right away I signed, uh, July 1st at probably 1201.
1: Wow. The, uh, I wasn't in, the only one you, you in 506,
2: you go to
1: Germany. And a, when a guy, a lot of guys, when you go to Europe, that sort of signals the end, like you're not going to try. That's it. I'm not trying for the NHL anymore, but you went to Germany for a year. I mean, had a good year at least. What it, I think, I'm I'm not really sure. From Terrible year. <laughs> Terrible year. All right. But I didn't enjoy you, it. Yeah, but you came back though, and you still had. You went on to still play in the NHL and have success, uh, and, and the pro levels in North America. So talk about that decision to go to Europe, and uh, and then how you made the, the steps back.
2: Well, uh, that CBA they put a lot of restriction on minor league salaries. Yes. You know, you, you, there was a recall waiver Re- back then. Re-entry waivers, yeah, yes. Re-entry waivers, no. and uh, I had a one-year-old son. My wife was pregnant with my second one. Actually, my, my second one was born three weeks later. We moved to Germany, and I went. Part of it, I mean, salary was good, and let's let's try it. Let's try Europe, and I went there. I did enjoy it. I played for a German coach that actually was telling me I don't dive enough to get penalties, <laughs> uh, so I didn't really uh, – Enjoyed. I enjoyed like you're home all the time and when you have days off, she kept, oh, let's drive to France, let's drive to Belgium, you know, like, right. it was a nice experience, but I probably went in the back of my mind, I didn't, I wasn't done with hoping to play in the NHL and again, coming back to Hutch, that's the year that Carolina won the cup, so we're back after European season ends earlier, I'm in Montreal and he calls me, hey, it was the first or second round, probably second round they were playing Montreal, he gave me tickets and I had to change agent at that point. I went from Pat Morris, the big Newport group at Damien to uh, Steve Casper, the former player
0: yeah.
2: was representing, I forget who on Carolina. So that was the first year that team started in Montreal. They, was all those projections on the ice. When you show videos, they were showing the wing from Patrick Waugh against LA. They were showing the Gila Fleurs, the Jabalivo, and, the Bell Center got sold out, so you're there, and I'm sitting with my wife. It's like, oh man, it'd be awesome to play here! And so, they win, uh, they get that game, second game. Hutch, hey, come again! So, I go to the game and I'm walking the concourse. Steve Casper's son was going to McGill's, and he was at the game, so I saw him. And I was like, you know what, Steve, I want to try again and, and because I and it was a spur of the moment. I saw him in the concourse, yeah. <laughs> And so we looked at July 1st, I was getting a few offers from Europe and July 1st, right away, uh, San Jose signed me, uh, to be a veteran guy to mine. That's why I played with Joe Pavelski yeah. and then I ended up having my best year in the NHL had 80 points. And, uh, then I played most of my NHL games after that. So, yes. so, so what
1: was the difference? Why, how did, what was the difference between you as a player from, you know, pre Europe to post Europe? So, I mean, you played 250 games in the NHL and to your point, 220 of those or so were after you got back from Europe. Well,
0: or was it, it was it just your appreciation? Was it just your appreciation of everything when you when you tell a story like that of bumping into Steve Casper at the at the game?
2: Well, maybe that and maybe, you know, when you're young, you start, and I see it with our young players now, like you, you're you playing in the HL, but you keep thinking, am I going to get called up? I'm going to get called up. I came back thinking... No, it, I was. They, they took out that reentry waivers. I had a decent salary. You know, I was one of the well paid guys in the HL. I mean, I I was a, I was a thirty goal scorer almost every year in the HL. So, you know, I was maybe more in the moment instead of worrying who's getting called up. And right. And to your point earlier, like it, it gets frustrating for a guy when you see you're playing well and it's all the the draft picks that are getting called up, whether they play well or not. And now at that point, I was just like. What the hell? I only played two, uh, I only played two games that year in San Jose. And uh it's Joe. I started with Joe, seventh round pick at training camp. Uh you know, we got sent down. I get to Worcester, and they put me with him and Graham Mink. And I didn't know who he was. By the time he got called up, he played 16 games. I had 16 goals. He and <laughs> eight and six assists. He had like eight goals and eighteen assists, something like that. And I remember the boys that bugged me when he got called up. So, oh, Darshi, Pav is gone. So, I scored three straight games. I had 19 and 19. And uh, I remember Bill Ballou, who was the reporter in Worcester, came to me at morning and said, you know, Matt, if you score tonight, you'll be the first guy in the history of the AHL to score 20 in the first 20. Of course, really? I had two posts and I went nine games without scoring. <laughs> But I had a great year, like, and that year gave me. I was my. I went to the All-Star game. It kind of gave me confidence. All right, I had 35 goals and 80 points. You know, I finished whatever top five in the scoring. And then the year after, I signed, and uh, my. I was always a hard worker, but I started training also around that time with Ian LaPerriere. Playing, he was a nut job in the gym. I was always in good shape. I took it to the next level. I went to Tampa Bay the year after. They signed me the first day, like. A, big salary in the minors to be a Norfolk and the quality of torts. He doesn't give a shit who you are, where you're a first round pick. Like you see the way, what, what all the stories in Columbus that you hear. Right. Right. Yeah. So all I true. got the training camp. We, they were selling the team. Only 33 players were at camp. We had injuries. I played every preseason game. It went well. At the end of camp, torts literally told me, Tarshi, I won't lie to you. I had no clue the hell you were when camp started. You came in. <laughs> all the fi- and torts is all about the fitness huh? like it's training camps they call them torturella and i was like you skating tests but I, I like i knew marty saint louis uh from going to high school with him so i knew all the tests so i trained hard that summer so and i ended up making the team uh out of training camp like he told me you were one and two in all the fitness fitness tests you played well in the game your attitude's good so you're on the team and that's why, like, even people like to criticize towards. i have always respected him because he didn't care who you were. What have you done for me lately?
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. I want to fast forward a couple of seasons then, because finally, uh, you don't just get the cursory Montreals in town to watch you. You actually sign a deal with the Montreal Canadiens to yes, play for the hometown team. That's awesome. Yeah, right.
2: you see, after, even after the Tampa year, like they sold the team. They, the new remember they had two years of questionable ownership yes. yeah He signed like 17 forwards on one-way contract i was out ended up in portland that's the only year i never got called up and i signed with montreal julian Breesbo was the assistant gm so i signed a high again a nice contract hl i even like i called him and said you mind if i go get a place in hamilton before the montreal training camp because my kids were in school at that point right so fine and Again, Guy Boucher, who coached me at Miguel with Marte Remo, was the coach in Hamilton, which was one of the reasons I came, Guy, because New York was potentially offering me something. Torres was a coach in New York. I was like, oh, maybe I should go there. And, uh, uh, and Guy was telling me, Matt, I'm a first-time pro. I'd like you to be one of my veterans in the minors, you know. so uh, and It's funny, my brother, who's a huge Habs fan, would tell me, Matt, go there. You play one game. You're forever a Hab alumni, you know. Uh, so, yeah. But, <laughs> So I signed there partly with Guy and Julian. I felt a good connection with him. We're the same age. And I ended up there and I got called up. I even separated my shoulder that November. I was like, all right. And I went at one point. Guy brought me in the office. He was meeting with everybody. I said, Gee, you know what? I know my role is to be a good veteran for the guys here. you know. And he looked at me. He's like, that's bullshit, Darcy. I said, whoa, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, that's part of your role. But you want to get back to the NHL too. So your mindset has to be that, doesn't mean those two don't they can go together right. they don't They're have not, to be one not, or the other not mutually were, exclusive yeah And yeah exactly it might have been a kick in the ass i needed and i of course i separated my shoulder in, in november i was like oh my god like, i was out six weeks uh i was like oh, i'm not gonna get called up and then in uh, january i got called up and i never went down after i spent three years in montreal and that year the conference final which for me was the highlight of, uh, you know, I was more nervous my first game with Montreal than my first game in the NHL with Columbus 10 years earlier.
1: Oh I, bet. I-, I believe that, absolutely. Because I
2: grew up idolizing this team, you know, like I went to a lot of games and then plus we had that playoff run. I re-signed a one-year deal and I had a great year and everybody, my agent, other people, i go to the market, go to the market after my, my, my second year. I was like, I like playing in Montreal too much. Just get a deal done. And I stayed in Montreal those three years.
0: Who was your guy who, when you when you were a kid, You you growing up with these teams? Like, Matt, you and I are about the same age. I'm a few years older. Like, Matt's like
2: Matt, you had it right there. Matt's Naslund was my favorite player. It's is funny, that because right? like, I'm impressed because most people, when I say Matt's Nasland, they're like, what? Even the young Quebecers, like Louis LeBlanc, who was a first-round pick by Montreal. Yeah. I told him Matt Naslund. it was like, uh, I'm not sure that is, <laughs> you know. Really? So I'm impressed by you, Aaron. But yeah, Matt's Naslund was my uh my favorite player when I was young. Unbelievable that's skill. Unbelievable. And yeah. his name was Matt, so that's why I like him. <laughs> right. Good point too, yeah?
1: How how much how many tickets did you um and maybe it's Montreal, so maybe you don't have access to as many tickets, but that first game you're playing for the Canadians, how many tickets did it cost you? And was it, that must've been at least one paycheck, I would assume.
2: <laughs> no, that's the thing is uh luckily a lot of my circle in Montreal, they were in the business world and all that. So a lot of them had their own tickets. And, they are oh, good, like, thank honestly, God, like, right? You each get two tickets and I got called up and right to the game. So I you didn't have time the first time. And after that, I would tell people like, you know, get Sorry. your own ticket. Like, not that I don't not, want to be a a jerk, but a jerk. Yeah. But I mean, at one point, like, I mean, can I? I spent a lot of years in the minors with two kids and and all it, that. Can I it, actually make money for me? It's the, <laughs> hockey, it's the hockey business. Isn't this, is, this isn't the hockey free for all? It's the hockey yeah, business. Exactly. So I like every now and then I get a couple. Like my immediate family and my parents, I would take care of the tickets. Sure. After man. that, like it's, I appreciate sure. you want to come watch me play, but. But you're on your own. Right. We, haven't talked since on TV. High,
1: right. we haven't talked since high school.
2: So let's, uh, let's, let's... You'll laugh. Right? That's the sad part in this business is there's, uh, when I was in Tampa, my first year in the NHL, all of a sudden you get more friends and right. I got to Montreal and my wife still talks about it. Like it's crazy. The people that come out of the woodworks. I had one of them that I don't know how they found my number a next minor hockey coach. I hadn't talked to in 20 years, I get a message, and not only does he leave me, it could have been more subtle. The message was, hey, Matt, it's XXX. Uh, call me back out a favor to ask you. Like, not even, hey, how are you? I haven't talked to you in 20 years. That's the exact <laughs> message. Obviously, I never returned that call. Wow. Right. But it's, it's all uh, like in Montreal, it was crazy, the people. And it's funny, when you retire, all of a sudden, you're not as popular. Like, it's right. So, you know, your true friends.
0: Well, and yeah. for you too, I, I, and I think you had a chance to p- continue playing, but you end up going in the business world. I mean, completely stepping away. I, and I shouldn't say completely because you did TV, uh, which is interesting. And I, I'm curious, your like, is that something that you were always interested in? But you stepped away and went into the business world and in, in very successful business world for six, seven years before coming back to Pro Hockey.
2: Yeah, my, you know, I was involved in the labor negotiations for the lockout in 2012. I was part of the negotiating committee for the players. I did it as much for, I believe, in some of the stuff we're asking, but also for my own personal, it was like doing an NBA in six months. I mean, you're around Don Fear and Gary Bettman for six months. I mean, it was an awesome experience. Frustrating at times from sure. both sides, but it was an awesome right. experience. And I went to an event in Montreal from the Jewish community like it was a sports celebrity breakfast. They invited me every year when I play in Montreal. And I could never go because if that was the thing, I had a hard time at the start saying no when you're in Montreal. But if not, you have something every day. And I, I still have my family. So it was always a Sunday. It's a sports celebrity breakfast. It's a Sunday. It's a great event. Uh, so that year, the lockout year after I, whatever, I retired, I came back and nobody signed me. So I retired. They were honoring Don Fiera's personality of the year. So I went. The guy who runs the, the breakfast was one of our, that was one of the owners of Delmar, the company I worked for after. And he came to me and said, I'd like to have lunch with you. I said, fine. So, all right, you got a business background and in, in college and would you come and work for us in custom brokerage freight forwarding? I was doing RDS, some TV work. Uh, so I was like, ah, okay, let's go have lunch. And I said, oh, you know what, why not? So I, di- I didn't w- go looking for it. It came to me and I re- I loved it. What I learned in those six years at Del Mar helps me in my job today because I was managing a team of 40 people. I was a vice president of sales. Uh, I mean, I was fortunate. I came in after a year, they gave me Quebec. After another year, they gave me Canada. And by the end, I was kind of, we had offices in 14 countries. I'd go to China every year. I went to India. I went to Bangladesh. I went to Mexico City. I went to Vietnam. Wow. Great experience. And I managed people, which kind of helps me. So it was awesome. And I was very fortunate. They treated me like family right away. And when Julian took over for Steve Eisenman here, he, we always stayed in contact. Uh, same age, a lot of similar interests. And then... Uh, he goes, he's looking for someone to replace what he was doing with Steve. And he offered me the job. And the big hesitation is my boys at that point were 14 and 16, which is not an easy age to move. Right? No, not at all. My oldest was finishing high school because high school finishes in grade 11 in Quebec. So we talked as a family and my wife's the one that gave me a kick in the butt. Like Matt, you've always won wanted... throughout my career. It's always something I wanted to, be, to do to be in management, not coaching, but management. Right. And so we took the leap. The boys were great, it was tough. I still remember when we moved, we have a dog. So my wife with her friend, they drove down with a dog. I flew with my boys a few days early. The moving truck got there and I still remember we got on the airplane and the boys are good. My parents are dropping us off at the airport. My mom's crying a bit, but whatever, it's all good. The boys are laughing at the airport. One of their buddies came with them. We are about to take off. My youngest pulls his hoodie over his head and you see tears starting to fall, you're like, ah. Yeah. But they've adjusted unbelievably well. And that's why we won the cup last year. You're like, all right, it was worth it, you know? Yes. The boys were pumped, and now they're all leaving home <laughs> to go to school. But that, that's the only thing that made us hesitate. And it, it was a big move. Like, we, you know, like, as a hockey player, we move around. We did nine cities in nine years at one point. Right. people are like it's tougher on the family for us you get to a new team you got 20 new friends
0: yeah, my right. wife
2: like move and when she had kids especially in the minors most of the girls they were young going out and this and that well she had two kids yeah and doing all this like that's the reason you know they you know the, the good old expression behind behind every man there's a there's a great woman right there's really a the case for me and to be able to and my wife had a job in montreal and she hates winters. So that was convenient to come that was to Tampa. A good, uh,
1: yeah. A plus in Tampa's court. So, but it was
2: really the kids that was tough. That made us hesitate, you know, cause it's, that's a tough age to move. And they were troopers. They were excited. It was hockey. It's cool for them too. But initially they, you know, they, they found it hard for a couple of weeks and then they moved on went on the weekends. They can go to the beach and, uh, it's right. January. They're weighing flip-flops. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. not a bad deal. It's
1: okay. It, it works out. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, I got I meant to ask this before. And so, uh, but I, uh, uh, one of my good memories from you, uh, here was not on the ice. It was a community project. Do you remember a letter writing campaign that you participated in? It was with a, uh, a local nonprofit called junior achievement. And then we would go to visit all these schools yeah. and, uh, You, and I think it was, and Flats and uh, maybe Darren participated in this. And this was a, this was a lot of work on your behalf uh, to, we probably visited six schools. You had to write letters. Like I wrote a lot of them, but then uh, you had to write a bunch as well. Uh, Do you remember doing that? And was community always an important thing for you?
2: For sure. Every city I've been in, like, and especially when you're like I. I've done it in Syracuse. I've done it in Milwaukee. I've done it in Hershey. I've done it everywhere. And when you're in Montreal, you have a platform. You play for the Montreal Canadiens. Right. The Habs Foundation. Actually, I served for five years on the Ronald McDonald House Board uh, when I was in Montreal. To me, it's call me maybe idealist, but to me, especially when you're in the NHL and you get a platform, it's your duty to do something good with it. Yeah. And my wife is like that. My wife, if she could get paid to help people, that would be her job. Like she's, you know, like whether it's underprivileged uh, kids to uh, uh, to help you get opportunity to go to the schools and sick kids and all that. I remember like in Montreal, once we went, uh, where did we go with my kids? Oh, I went to um, the foundation was doing, um, there's kids that can't even afford it's a $1 a day camp in the summer. So the Habs Foundation, which does great jobs, they raise a lot of money. Obviously you have the Habs logo behind it, Montreal, you'll raise a lot of money. And we went one summer at that camp with a bunch of underprivileged kids that they can barely eat. And I brought my two boys. So you know what? They're pretty spoiled. And I still remember to this day, like it was the most gratifying thing. I brought them and when we drove back home, they didn't say a word in the car. Yeah. So we got home, and they were like maybe five and seven at that point, or six and eight. And I go, "Well, Dad, well, you mean they? There are three of them in the same bedroom. You mean, but they can't eat what they like. It was eye opening for them. And when you're fortunate like we are, they have a great life and all that. You know, we're we're earning a living, playing a game. To me, you have to give back and. It's the same thing now with the foundation and the, the lightning. I try to get involved and, you know, we do those um at Christmas, you take letters and you buy the gifts In Montreal, everybody did it. Even when I retired in Montreal every year, I call the foundation, send me, you know, letters from two kids. And I got a bunch of our friends outside of hockey where we live to each take letters. So one year we had a truck full of toys going back to people. Wow. That's it's awesome. the minimum any athlete should do. And I don't want to say they have to, to each their own, but to me, it's a it's a no brainer. You have a platform, you have the means to do something. You have to do something good for society. Society has been good to you. It's yeah. your turn to give back and that you're talking about, I remember that project in Milwaukee, but to this yeah. day, we still try to to, to get involved, whichever way we get our kids involved. I ran a hockey program in Montreal at my kid's school. I started a hockey program every Christmas it was mandatory for every player. We went. It was a big warehouse where people bring, you know, canned food and all that, and you make baskets. You deliver the house. So one of the things with the program, every because it was a private school, everybody was in means and all that. It was mandatory for every player to do that charity at Christmas. Even like I'm not talking professionally. We're talking right, High locally. School. Yeah, but we wanted to get these kids to think about giving back. So that's a, sorry, I ramble, I rambled on a bit, but to me, it's always been something. Clearly it's very
1: important to you and it's, it is important. And I give Nashville a ton of credit. Obviously that's the only organization I've ever worked with here at the admirals. Um, But Nashville signs guys, good people, and then they expect them to, at the minor league level, like you will go out in the community and it makes my job so much easier. There's not as much, I don't pull teeth, right? Like these guys, They want to do it. They're excited to do it, and they're expected to do it. And uh, that's I give a lot of credit to David Poyle uh, and to you know Ray Shiro, Paul Fenton, Brian Poyle, Scott Nickel, that all the the player personnel people, and to mention our coaches that they are actively telling these guys that yeah your job is on the ice, but your job is also off the ice. And if it wasn't for fans uh, and the community, you don't have a job.
2: I agree, and, you, and you're lucky because uh, you're with a good organization starting at the top with David Boyle. Like it's, like I lived it as a player, and now I see it with our relationship we have with different teams. Like uh, it's uh, to me, it's any team, any individual and you have to, and, and it doesn't mean you have to be rich to do it either. Right. No. there's a lot of ways to do it with your time. That's not your money. Right, it is you're not a, to get involved. Right. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, Charlie. Absolutely.
1: Anything else? No, I think uh, I think that's it. We've kept them long enough.
0: We, uh, we always ask, though, Matthew, at the end of these, um, when you think of your time in Milwaukee, what comes to mind?
2: I left a champion. <laughs> honestly, like, it, it is what it is. Like it's, I think it. my year in Milwaukee helped me play 12 years professionally, helped me get back to the NHL because you taste success, you want to keep it. You know, you, you want to taste it again. And uh, honestly, like, and outside the hockey, love the city. Uh, and I always got to remember the Blatt's Brewery. We had some fun <laughs> nights.
0: <laughs> well, I tell you what, speaking of fun nights, uh, we're taping this after game one against Florida, between Tampa Bay and Florida in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And uh, if if all of the nights are that fun, uh, this is going to be the as good a playoffs as we've ever seen.
2: That was a hell of a game last night. Two very good teams. There was plays being made. Like, honestly, like, it finished 5-4 and you have two of the top goalies in the league and, yeah, right. of them played a bad, and none of them played a bad game. And they were brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah but, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: It was a great game and was just... I'm happy we're on the right side of it, but it's going to be a tough series. Well, best
0: of luck to you. Thank you so much for being so gracious with your time with us today. And, uh, and obviously the stories you told and, and, uh, now we'd love to, do, we'll do this again sometime. And, and maybe after you were hoisting the cup for a second time here, I don't want to jinx it, excuse me, but, uh, I'd love to. I don't believe in jinxes. I'm a broadcaster. I don't believe in jinxes.
2: I agree with you. (laughs) uh, Well, thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. All the best.
0: That's Matthew Darsh. Thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Apple Podcast.